Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. Matthew was already on the Zoom. Hi, Matthew. Oh, David. <laughs> are, are you okay? Just hearing recording in progress for the for the last time for a season opener. <laughs> <laughs> How are people gonna know what happened in 1988? How are people gonna happen know what happened in 1989 without us? Well, maybe that's what we need to continue with once the the Packs of Life podcast is over. Oh, I love a good historical podcast. Woo! <laughs> but it did occur to me that with the deep dive here, we could do like a, a post-mortem, like, a, and here's 1988, just as the show was ending. Here is how it went out. Here are the other shows that went off the air that year and all that stuff. We could maybe do that as, a, as an afterthought, a, a coda, as it were. All right. <laughs> I definitely but, think we should do an episode where we ask listeners to send in messages and tell tell us what the facts of life meant to them, how what they've thought of the podcast, shit like that, maybe. Oh, okay. You want us to solicit people to to flatter us and like no, like tutti fruities. I want to know how what facts of life meant to them. Oh, we could do now, that. Now that it's over. Now that it's over. Okay, that would be a great way to include the Tutti Fruities. Uh, speaking of Tutti Fruities, Matthew, I've got a lot of housekeeping to do before we actually get into our 1987 pop culture deep dive. Mm, I'll grab a mop. Let's <laughs> do some housekeeping. We have a new Tutti Fruity to welcome into the fold. I want to welcome Cody. Hi, Cody. Hi, Cody. Better late than pregnant, am I right? <laughs> He's, Cody uh, does not have a last name. Cody is only simply known as Cody, not unlike, you know. Cher. Like Madonna, exactly. Oh, remember when Madonna was alive in 1987? <laughs> <laughs> well, Cody, we are very thrilled to have you amongst the Tutti Fruities. Tutti Fruities, of course, being our Patreon supporters. If you want to be like Cody and the tens of others that support the show and get an extra podcast every month, you know, you can go to the Patreon. The link is in the show notes. And let's all join together and welcome Cody to the family. Oh, Cody's obsessed with us. <laughs> I'm here for it. Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, next item uh, up for bids on the price is right. Matthew, congratulations are in order. Why? You, you made your TV debut on the Disney Channel a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I did. It's on YouTube now. I Are saw you? that. I've shared it actually, but I'll share it again in the show notes for this show. Matthew got to fulfill a childhood dream, didn't you say? Yes, of not being on the Disney Channel, but I guess I guess kind of. Um, but um, just being on TV, I've always wanted to be on TV. It was just such an important thing to me in my childhood, and I just 
saw these wonderful people on TV. And like, I remember just loving the Jeffersons and loving Facts of Life and just like uh, getting to check in with people. And I saw somebody win an Emmy once and they said, television is different than cinema because with television, you're welcomed into people's homes. And that always just felt so wonderful to me. But yeah, it was. So if you've you've ever wondered the gorgeousness that is behind this amazing voice. (laughs) If the camera adds 10 pounds, I don't know how many cameras were on me. (laughs) (laughs) But we're talking about Disney Summer Magic Quest. It's a show they've done before where they take some stars from a Disney Channel show and they send them on kind of a bit of a scavenger hunt through a theme park when it's closed at night. And uh, Matthew got to play a finicky food critic over in the France Pavilion at Epcot. And I have to say, Matthew, you were fucking hilarious and you were very much yourself. I was like, oh, this they clearly let you inject your sense of humor into your character. And it was glorious. And again, it's it's available on YouTube for free. So I will post the link in the show notes and y'all can watch Disney Summer Magic Quest. And the kids are just delightful, very energetic. Wow, that's that's yeah. a lot, but that's what they're paid to do. If you if you are a Disney Channel kid, that's what you ought to be. Unlike the Mouseketeers at Walt Disney World. <laughs> whom we <laughs> criticized heavily for their lack of enthusiasm <laughs> in traveling to Walt Disney World back in the 70s. Next on the list, Matthew, of the many things we need to talk about, uh, we had a fan catch that I missed, uh, technically that we missed, so it's also your fault. How dare you? One of the commenters on <clears throat> Facebook, Doug M., he pointed out, uh, as we were talking about Joe's grandfather in the... Uh, graduation episode that back in the episode from Russia with love, where we met Natalie's grandmother played by the wonderful Molly Pecan. One of the things Joe says to Natalie is uh, I never got to know my grandparents. They all died on me. So show Bible bad moment. They missed that. Joe had said that all our grandparents were dead. And now suddenly Uh, This dude, Sheldon Leonard from Poland, is suddenly alive. That's a wag of the finger, and that's going back in the time machine. Well, no wonder she didn't recognize him. (laughs) Dad told me you were dead. What? (laughs) Uh, And um, speaking of previous episodes, that was the talking about the the one of uh, the graduation episode. We recently did a list of uh, our favorite episodes for the Ask Us Anything uh, and I missed a couple. I was re- going through the list. I was uh, reviewing some of the older shows, and I completely missed one episode that I loved that probably should have been on my top five list, Read No Evil, season three, episode 24, the one where Mrs. Garrett and Mr. Parker have to band together to deal with the book banning. Sarah French was my guest, and she's the one that put forth David they are totally fucking. What are you talking about? So that was one that I loved. I really did like the episode. And one that I really hated and can't believe I didn't think to include this. Best Sister, parts one and two. Oh my goodness. Wait, 
Is that the one with um, the wonderful Jan Brady? Yes. Yeah. The one with Jan Brady, with Eve Plum as Blair's stepsister. And then Joe going off and deciding she wants to be a nun. And then, oh, punching Blair. I've said it before. I think season four, episodes 17 and 18 should be stricken from the canon. They are so appallingly off-brand. They do not align with the character of Joe. Of uh, uh, No. Oh, you're going to love season nine. Oh. <laughs> oh. God. So those are two that I really, really was uh, uh, missing on that list. And uh, that just goes to show you, we did it off the top of our heads and didn't give much thought to it. <laughs> um, so another letter from a listener, from one of our Tutti Fruities, actually. This is from Ken S. And he writes, I'm listening to the Golden Girls Talkaholics episode. You guys cracked me up with your thriller confusion how we've talked about that thriller has turned up three times as to when the fuck did that record or that single or that video come out. So Ken S continues, I could have cleared this up for you in two seconds. My obsession with thriller was such that there should be a personality disorder named after me. (laughs) We have no idea what that's like, Ken. It's very simple. The Paul McCartney duet, The Girl Is Mine, was released in the fall of 82 in advance of the album. The full album, Thriller, was released in November of 82. By the first week of 83, it was number one and was obviously the overall number one album for that year. Because of its unprecedented success, it was also the number one album for the following year, outselling even Purple Rain. So these charts Matthew was consulting were not trying to convince him the album was released three years in a row, but instead that it was dominating the charts the entire time. Well, there it is. Thank you, Ken. Does that clear anything up for you, Matthew? Um, it, okay. No. <laughs> because I've never said, I, I mean, yes, but no, because I've never said I was smart and understand things like that. But what I love about Ken is that as I sit here looking at nine different Hello Dolly posters on my wall, <laughs> <laughs> that I don't feel like such a weirdo because I love that there's somebody that knows that much about Thriller. I love exactly. it. I love that. I love that that's his obsession and he's like fully embraces it because yes. Um, oh, I suffer from Matthew Arter syndrome. Oh, you really enjoy Hello Dolly. You know, that's, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Ken, for writing. I really appreciate that. Uh, the only other thing I have in my sort of laundry list here is that uh, Facebook has changed the way it communicates with me regarding the Facebook page for the pod. Mm. So I, I'm not getting the messages that people are writing to me in a timely manner. Used to just email me and say, Hey, someone sent you a message. That's not happening. All of a sudden I changed no settings. Facebook just took on a life of its own. And, uh, and the other thing is that even when people comment on a post, I used to be notified by email And that's not happening either. And so they've changed how pages work. And there are a lot of uh, powerful tools to show you your demographic and your, you know, it's one of those things where there are powerful uh, 
statistical tools there that I have no interest or uh, ability to use. And thank you for providing them Facebook. But all I really want is for you to tell me when someone sends me a message instead of automatically replying to those messages with the following. Hi, thanks for contacting us. We've received your message and appreciate you reaching out. That's an auto reply that it sends. And uh, make no mistake, I've not received your message. It's lying to you. It did not tell me you sent a message. So I stumbled upon the the inbox. I had a few messages, including some Tutti Fruities with whom I've had active ongoing conversations. And I'm writing them going, you know, I didn't write this. You know, I would not have written you something so impersonal. Jesus. But anyway, I'm just much as I prefer Facebook over Instagram and, and Twitter and TikTok, Facebook, my personal Facebook account, works for me, but I I still struggle with how to make it work. So if you reached out to me on Facebook, anybody listening, just know that eventually I will find it. It just may not be this year or next year. I don't freaking know. Ooh. Yeah. There, there. (laughs) End of rant. Getting off my soapbox. (sighs) So Matthew, picture it. 1987. Oh, David. What do you want to talk about? We have so much to cover. Well, okay. I will start with the interesting things that happened in 1987. And this is maybe why 1987 is kind of a blur because I'm a surprise year. Nothing happened. Oh, really? David, nothing interesting happened. The most interesting thing I could find that happened in the pop culture world was the first Simpsons cartoon short appeared on the Tracy Ullman show. Oh, okay. April of 1987. Sure. I remember other interesting things like um, Terry Waite, the special envoy of the Archbishop of Canterbury in Lebanon is kidnapped in Beirut. Yeah. Wow. Exciting. So, I mean, I, I kind of thought, oh, that'll save us some time then, because like nothing terribly, <laughs> terribly interesting happened. In- and it wasn't an election year. And the following year was an election year. And it was, you know, Reagan completing his second term and then Bush senior running against Dukakis. And that was kind of a foregone conclusion that Bush was going to win, which he did. So even like even 88, as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, hmm, yeah. Reagan gave his Berlin Wall speech. Oh, Mr. Gorbachev, take down that wall. Is that what yeah. that was? Yeah. Disneyland Paris was agreed to be built. <laughs> it, it wasn't built yet. It, this is the year that they, they signed the papers. Wow. Well, okay. Well, if not much interesting happened, then we can move on to the next thing. Do you want to talk about music? Well, you go. You go, then. All right. Well, this is, I'll do the television portion. This is typically a a deep dive. So we're going to be parking it here for a little bit. And I did go back and listen to past episodes. And uh, I do need to say, I am sorry. Good God, what a bore. (laughs) Holy fuck balls. Matthew, why didn't you tell me? I mean, I know you tell me all the time, but why didn't you tell me so that I actually paid attention and listened to you? Jesus. I don't think it's boring. (laughs) 
well, I'm going to try to make this, if not interesting, at least I'm going to get through it a little bit quicker. This is one of the few interesting things about you, David, actually. Oh, real? <laughs> Thank you. That's so sweet. So as you know, every year I always have to do this big divide. Okay, we have to talk about last season, the season we just finished. We're not talking about season nine ahead of us. We're going back to previous season eight having just been completed. And let us look back at where it landed. Facts of Life just, just moved out of the top 30. Barely missed it. Number 31. And let's remember, that's not the lowest it's been. The lowest it was, other than season one, of course, was number 36 in season four. So, uh, you know, once we got Joe on the show, the lowest it ever went at this point was 36. And I feel like it's it's only going to be like 38 after season nine. Like it was still performing. That's why they wanted to bring it back, even though the girls opted not to come back. So, um and well, it was uh, just part of a powerhouse lineup. It was part of NBC Saturday Night, for God's exactly, sake. Exactly, exactly. So, so uh, in, in perfect segue, my love, because I was also going to point out that we've just completed the first year that Facts of Life is in the 8 p.m. time slot, followed by 227, Golden Girls, and Amen. 227 came in at number 14 because it was the show right before Golden Girls. Facts of Life, last season, it was reversed. Facts of Life was 8.30 before the Golden Girls, and it came in at 27. So Facts of Life pretty much held its audience, even though it got pushed back and was not adjacent to Golden Girls. That's that's kind of interesting and shows that the show was still popular. It was not in this, uh, well, it's this shitty old show. Let's just keep it going until it fucking dies. You know, it's like, it was still 100% holding its audience, helping that, that night of programming and, and keeping, keeping NBC in the game. Well, thankfully NBC by this time, wasn't like, uh, put it on Tuesdays at eight 30 with manimal. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) So at least they were, they weren't fucking with it. Yeah. So, again, looking back at the previous season, let's look at the Nielsen's. As I've said before, this podcast is also the journey of NBC from bottom to top, from the lowest fourth place of three networks to being the number one network. And uh, the Nielsen's reflect this once again now for this past 86-87 season. In the top 30, NBC has 15 shows. CBS has nine. ABC has six. And with that, that was NBC gaining one from the previous year and CBS losing one. So NBC is still ascending. And in the top 30, I'm going to quickly list off the shows that NBC had. Number one, Cosby Show. Number two, Family Ties. Number three, Cheers. Number five, Golden Girls. Number seven, Night Court. Number 13, Amen, which was right after Golden Girls. Number 14, 227, which was right before Golden Girls. Number 15, Matlock, tied with the NBC Monday Night Movie. Number 20, the NBC Sunday Night Movie. Number 21, LA Law. Number 24, Highway to Heaven. Number 26, Miami Vice. Number 28, Alf. He's naming them all, folks. Number 29, Hunter. 
And number 30, The A-Team. Those are the 15 shows that NBC has in the top 30. They have. So what you're saying is old people were watching TV on Saturday nights. Goddamn right they were. Mm -hmm. And then typically, Matthew, what I do is I take the Nielsen's and then I kind of compare it to the Emmys, kind of like what what people were watching versus what was actually winning awards. And uh, before we get into the Emmys, we've never discussed that the Facts of Life has only ever received three Emmy nominations (laughs) and has never won a single one. Season three, Charlotte Ray was nominated for Best Actress. Uh, That was the one where she was, uh, was it Breaking? No, Breaking Point was the suicide show. What was the one where she was managing the diner at night and had to quit her job? Season seven, come back to the truck stop, Natalie Green, Natalie Green was nominated for Outstanding Technical Direction slash Electronic Camera Work slash Video Control. In 1986, it did not win. That's a and, tough category. That's oh, a tough category. To to say, yes. Uh, and then, just completed season eight, 62 pickup, Diana Eden mentioned the fact that it got nominated for the Emmy for hairstyling. It didn't win. And Diana was saying, yeah, I didn't get nominated for costumes, unfortunately. But they got nominated for hairstyles. Which she designed. But True. Yeah, some of the hair was hair that she designed and <laughs> they were mad at her. Uh, so, but it didn't win anyway. It's not like they won the Emmy and, you know, Dinah should have shared it and all that stuff. Nope, three three nominations in nine seasons and did not win any of them. So let us look at the Emmy Awards. Again, for the previous season of the major nominations, and I cannot distinguish what a major nomination is from a non-major nomination, but... I think best um, technical work um, with a video. (laughs) Technical direction, electronic camera work, video control. Yeah, I think that would be a non. um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, of the major nominations, NBC had 82. CBS, 36. Less than half. And ABC, 15. Half again as many. And that really is in alignment with the Nielsen's, which pretty much is the same as it was last year. Uh, The Emmys were led by NBC. L.A. Law had 13 nominations. Golden Girls and St. Elsewhere were tied with 10 nominations each. And Cheers had eight. That crazy? Doesn't Cheers hold the record for the most Emmy awards? Maybe. That's a good question. I don't know. Now, but when it comes to winning, so I gave you, those are big numbers because that was nominations. When it comes to winning, right in alignment, same again. NBC won 15, CBS won nine, and ABC won three. So similar to last year, other than last year, ABC won zero. (laughs) Wah, wah. So they're coming back a little bit. Uh, Biggest winner, Cagney and Lacey, four. And uh, the Golden Girls won three. This was the year Betty White. Uh, won hers and the series uh, it won best series Betty White won best actress and it won for best technical direction but the biggest winner of the Emmys that year which won five awards was a CBS Hallmark Hall of Fame movie called Promise it's a Christmas movie 
which ran in December of 86, starring James Garner, James Woods, and Piper Laurie. Jesus. And I had to read this. I had to read this. James Garner stars as a carefree man who returns to his hometown after his mother's death and has to assume responsibility for his mentally ill younger brother, played by James Woods. Perfect casting. <laughs> One of the most honored films in television history, Promise received the Peabody Award, Humanitas Prize, Christopher Award, and Golden Globe Award, and its record of five Primetime Emmy Awards was not matched until 2010 by the film Temple Grandin. Holy shit. I no. want to see this movie now, Matthew, because you know James Woods playing a mentally ill younger brother probably probably is pretty awful, inappropriate, and unacceptable by today's standards. That seems to be a movie we need to see, and I need to find out if anybody involved with the facts of life was in the <laughs> cast of it so we can do it on TV Talkaholics. Um but anyway, uh, yeah, biggest winners for NBC that year, L.A. Law won four, and the Golden Girls, as I said, won three. Okay, so let us let me stop here and then let you talk for a change and, and put a little chapter break. So we've just dealt with the past wrapping up the 86-87 season. And uh, then uh, next I'll do is I'll talk about 87-88. But please, please, please don't make me listen to my own voice anymore. Well, David, it's a perfect segue from, from TV land, if you will, to Hollywood land. Because let's talk about the 1987 Worldwide Box Office winners. Ooh, see, this I love. i such a movie nerd, and I was more of a movie nerd back then than I am now. So, oh, dear. I, Interesting. This is the in, part where I have to think of movies that came out, do I? Well, yes, but it's interesting because we just said I made a joke earlier and said, so what you're saying is old people were watching TV because the movies are reflective, if you will, that indeed old people were staying home and young people were going to the movies, David. Oh, okay. Good hint. Good hint. Um, so is this where you want me to guess and just throw, throw out random movies? Um, let me give you a hint for the top five. Please right? do. Please and, do. And I will say I got some varying, I'm going by boxofficemojo.com. Okay. Because I got some varying information just by looking up top movies of 1987. So I'm going okay. by boxofficemojo.com. The wonderful. Not <clears throat> a paid endorsement. L looking for box office mojo? Visit boxofficemojo.com. Um, <laughs> number five, and this is the only hint I can give you and it'll give it away right away. Snap out of it! Oh! Moonstruck, I love that movie with every breath of my body and soul. It's another example of what do you mean you've never seen? Never seen Moonstruck. Oh my God. Not a, not a huge fan of Nick Cage. He is the weakest <laughs> thing in the film. I'm not going to lie. Not going to lie. The, I'm not going to lie. It, uh, every, all, all signs point to I should have seen Moonstruck. Olympia Dukakis is in it and fucking Cher is in it for Christ's sake. 
Cher won an Oscar. So yeah, it's required viewing. I get it. I would love to show it to you when you want to get together and have a movie night. Oh, Moonstruck. Okay. Moonstruck. Yes. Okay. Continue. I won't, I'm sorry. I won't babble this much about each be here for fucking ever. Number four. Um, Highest grossing film of 1987, David. Um, I can't, there's no other clue. Um, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Good morning, Vietnam. Good morning, Vietnam. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I believe that. Was that the first kind of four way, four, what's, I'm having a story. Yeah. Was that (laughs) the first kind of Nanette Fabre of him into stepping into like roles that were like not comedy. It was the first time one fit him well. Remember, he did the World According to Garp. Okay, yeah. And World According to Garp was so drama and such a straight up narrative film. And he talked about at one point, he improvised a line and he said the director made a face like a rat. He just went like that, like made, it had a physical negative reaction where he was just like, okay, all right. That's, that's not my job here today. So going from Mork and Mindy, the world, according to Garp was kind of a culture shock. And so good morning, Vietnam was kind of the the perfect balance of a, you know, tragic comic thing that, you know, paved the way for, you know, things like dead poet society and all that. So, yeah, it was the first really good Robin Williams role that fit because I know you're much too young to have been there when this came out number three Eddie Murphy ladies and gentlemen oh uh, uh, 48 it had to be Beverly Hills Cop is it the first one it was the second one okay you you yes you held up. Matthew gave me a hint. He held up a little peace sign, a little two, <laughs> because I was like, I feel like Beverly Hills Cop was earlier than this. Sure enough. Wow. It was number three, you said? Number three, I said. God damn. The sequel. Wow. <laughs> it's also listed on another um, list of worst films of 1987. Oh. That I looked up that we're going to discuss here in a second. I don't remember. How I don't remember anything about part two. I remember the first one. Movie number two, David, coming in at number two. Um, Boiled Bunnies. Boiled Bunnies, Fatal Attraction. (laughs) Oh, Glenn Close. That sex symbol. Yeah, I'm telling you, there is, you know, I talked about You Must Remember This the podcast that Karina Longworth does, she does an entire uh, series, a 10 or 11 part series that she just completed all about sex in the movies in the 80s. How the fact that we had tried some explicit sex in mainstream films in the 70s, but with the 80s came a big culture shift with, you know, Richard Gere in American Gigolo, and, and she does a long, a long, almost a full podcast talking about Fatal Attraction and its place in cinematic history and how it was like on, it was like on the cover of Time and Newsweek and shit. Like it was a phenomenon more than it was a film. It's crazy. Never seen it. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's upsetting. I can't watch upsetting things. Uh, 
I will agree with you. And and <laughs> Karina Longworth analyzing it by 2022 standards, it's like, uh, and yeah, Michael Douglas is a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. In the movie. Uh, anyway, continuing. I'll watch War of the Roses. Thank you very much. I love that movie. Much funnier. Directed um, by the wonderful Danny DeVito. Oh, I thought you were going to say the wonderful Asad Kalata. No. Um, <laughs> number one, David. Oh, God. And it's just, ugh. Uh, Steve Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg. Ted um, Danson. Oh, Three Men and a Baby. I'm like, Cocoon. No, Cocoon was uh, 82. Three Men and a Baby. God. Yeah, there was a big old chunk of cheese. Oh, God, which makes me think, oh, God, that means that um, Hollywood thought baby movies. That's it. Mm -hmm. and now we're going to have to suffer through Look Who's Talking and uh, Diane so. Keaton in Baby Boom. Baby Boom. Oh, that's mm. so maybe it's good that this is the last year we're talking about it. But <laughs> quite a few honorable mentions, David. And I'm These just going to go through them. Just going to go through the honorable mentions. The Secret of My Success. The wonderful uh, Michael J. Fox. Um, mm -hmm. The Witches of Eastwick. Oh. Dirty, dirty Dancing, David. Oh. Um, La Bamba. Um, planes, Trains, and Automobiles, David. John Hughes, yep. Spaceballs. That's right. Okay, yeah, Spaceballs, sure. Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> wow. Academy Police Award. Academy of Four. Citizens oh, on Patrol. Uh, <laughs> I think Gutenberg had three men and a baby that year. Jesus. Over the top, David. That arm wrestling movie with Sylvester Stallone. Oh, God. No. No. And I'm. this is the last one. And this is what hurt my feelings a little bit. Because when we discuss the worst movies, this will lead into the worst movies. Okay. Good. Yes. Ac according to IMDb. And this is what bothered me the most because I have seen more and enjoyed more, David, of the, some of the worst movies of 1987 <laughs> than I have seen some of the best movies. You know, I didn't, I couldn't tell you a whole lot about the best movies, but these movies in the worst list, Mannequin, David. According oh. to IMDb, listed as one of the worst movies. Come on. I mean, if Mannequin is on TV, I'm going to stop and watch it. <laughs> Kim Cattrall, talk about your acting powerhouses. Talk about the range of a mannequin. Andrew McCarthy, just delightful. You love Andrew McCarthy. You're rooting for him. James Spader as the bad guy, where they're like, okay, he is too fucking gorgeous. So mm. give him a comb over, glasses, and a cigarette. Try Let, let's ugly up 26-year-old James Spader to make him the bad guy. <laughs> Hello again, David, with the wonderful Shelley Long. I love that movie. Come I don't on. think I've ever seen it. Oh. I don't think I've ever seen Hello Again. <laughs> it's awesome. And Shelley Long is good. I'm sorry. She mm -hmm. can, she can, she knows how to be funny. Um, Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise, David. Oh, bless. 
come on. (laughs) (laughs) They go to the Hotel Coral Essex and it turns into the hot oral sex sign. Come on. Comedy gold. Who had to sit down and think, what could we call a hotel? Hotel Coral Essex, for Christ's sake. Yeah. And the wonderful Priscilla Lopez is in that from the original cast of A Chorus Line. Um, Ishtar, David. I have never seen that, and I've always wanted to, and I've been told I would enjoy it. (laughs) It got a bad rep, and I've heard that it's not nearly as bad as they said. It just was, it was just a misstep, and it wasn't up to normal Warren Beatty standards, and everyone lost their damn minds. Like father, like son. The wonderful Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron. The reason I bring that up is because that set had to be fucking batshit. Yeah. Wow. Was Kirk Cameron a holy roller by then? Was he all into his Jesus talk and all that stuff? Wow. I love that Ishtar came out the same year because that's kind of one of those shows, that movies, it's like, oh, you want you name a bad film. Somebody's going to mention Ishtar. Leonard part six, David. I I have no idea what that is. That is Bill Cosby, secret agent. Bill Cosby is called out of retirement to save the world. So was, were there five movies before it? That was the big confusion about this movie. (laughs) The movie was called Leonard part six. Yes. And it was believe. not a sequel. There had not been five no. previous parts. I Absolutely not. I think I maybe have two brain cells that remember that title from 40 years ago, maybe. Well, 35 years ago. Well, if that didn't give you enough fever dreams, um, Bill Cosby mugging his way through a secret agent comedy. Um, the, the Garbage Pail Kids movie, David. Wow. Proving that wacky baseball cards don't translate well into live action. Two movies that made me gay. Teen Wolf 2. Oh, okay. With and Justin, who is that? Justin Bateman getting all hairy. Oof. Jason Bateman. Yeah, what I say? You said Justin. Justine is his sister. Yeah, she wasn't in this. No. Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, David. Oh, oh, Matthew. (laughs) Yeah, that'll make you gay, all right. And lastly, no, not lastly, another one that made me gay, Masters of the Universe, starring Dolph Lundgren. Oh, my Mm. God. Oh, my God. Billy Barty is in it, for Christ's sake. (laughs) And And if he don't make you gay, I don't know who will. But oh, fucking Dolph Lundgren in yeah. SD man, sweet Jesus. Oh, no, no, nothing better. The only thing better than Dolph Lundgren as he man is Dolph Lundgren as Ivan Drago. Oh, who's that girl, David? We're still in the onslaught of Madonna trying to act. Oh, Madonna Louise Ciccone, the film career that is the longest on the job training any of us have ever had to witness. Oh, my God. God, and I'll sit and watch it if it's on. But last but not least, probably the best movie of 1987, David, Back to the Beach. I love that movie. 
why isn't that movie on regular rotation in places? Why isn't that on oh, Netflix or why isn't that on Hulu? Come on. I love Back that movie. Beach. It's not very good at all. I love that movie. It's Ken- not supposed to be. Yeah. Ken Reed loves that movie and he's a discerning customer. It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. I will give you that. It's it is just delightful in how fucking weird. Uh, when you take the 1960s beach movies and all of that, hey Dolores, do you still love me? You know I do, Frankie. All that acting style and interpolate that to people in their 40s now with kids. But and the, the brilliance of Back to the Beach is, and I God, we need to see if somebody from Facts of Life is in that movie so we can talk about it and watch it. <gasps> but um, it the beauty of it is that they admitted to their audience it doesn't turn out the way you think it's going to. Yeah. Everything that we did was a ridiculous lie, kids. We are married now. Yes, Frankie and Annette got married. But now he's a fucking used car salesman and I have a cabinet full of Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so it's <laughs> just so brilliantly like that, that cynical, uh, my parents um, that, that, uh, that grew up on that. And then they're like, wait, my, my life is shit. Mm-hmm. And to see that Annette and Frankie, their life was shit too. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. The idea of the promise and carefree uh, yeah. youth of the 60s, that whole culture uh, yeah. being, you know, running face first into the brick wall of responsibility, of a mortgage, of, you know, yes. raising kids and all that. Yeah, no, I, I really, really enjoy it. And I didn't see it till recently. Only I've only seen it like for the first time a couple of years ago. I saw it in the fucking theater. <gasps> really? When you were an infant? Yes. My mom dragged me to that fucking movie. So that's Matthew's movie reviews, David, from Yay! 1987. And I am, I kind of enjoyed looking at the, the worst movies more than I enjoyed like looking up the um the bad ones, the good ones. Yeah. The 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 money makers, yeah. as it were. Because that doesn't always talk, you know, reflect what the actual best movies are. So many of them get missed. Yeah. Okay, we want to look ahead now back to television for the upcoming season. Yes. What are we about to be faced with? Well, we are first going to be faced with the shows that will not be in front of our faces on our TV screens because Mm -hmm. they have been canceled or completed and will not be returning after the the 1986-87 season. This is the the Face of Facts podcast in memoriam. In memoriam. For ABC, The Colbys, Webster, and Life with Lucy. Oh, that's I can't get was, my voice that low. That's when she was going on talk shows going, they don't want me anymore. Uh, <laughs> just so the audience would give her a standing ovation and she would start to cry. Oh, God, Lucy. Yeah. And it was like, no, audiences want audiences will take anybody young or old if they're in a good vehicle the show was shit yeah it still had gail gordon in it walking around going lucy i don't know why we don't have any customers in the store it had lucy in it 
it still <laughs> it still had Lucy in it, for God's sake. Oh, bless. CBS, and this is just a partial list. These are just notable shows that stuck out to me. CBS, we lost hard copy. I think it went into syndication after that. I don't feel like hard copy went away anytime soon after 1987. Uh, Scarecrow and Mrs. King <laughs> with the wonderful Kate Jackson, fresh off of Charlie's Angels. The fuck and was that show? I have no, I think it was just another like a- Moonlighting. Yeah, like a husband and wife detective agency thing. I don't know where we got Scarecrow and all that stupid terminology, but uh, the Twilight Zone. They tried to revive the Twilight Zone. Didn't work. So bye-bye. NBC not returning. Hill Street Blues. That's a huge one. That had a good long run and won a fuck ton of awards. But had it jumped the shark by now? Was it awful by now? Like, I don't think it a, ever got is, awful, did it? Is there a podcast out there of Hill Street Blues? It's like, ugh, season nine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, not returning to NBC, the A-Team, mm. Remington Steel, and you will be happy to hear, Matthew, give me a break. Ugh. And by that time, it was, you know, Nell and her friend Addie in New York trying to be actresses with Joey Lawrence and his brother as they're adopted. Like, you know, by that time, uh, the the, the Kaniski family was like completely out of the picture. The dad had died in life and they, you know, had him die on the show. The daughters were grown up and married and independent. Uh, So that's it. In Fox, there was nothing notable. Fox did lose a few shows, but nothing notable in terms of they were still such a young network. So looking forward now, shows that are premiering this same year. ABC, which is in the last place now, premiered 20 shows. I'm not going to list all of them. Don't worry. Let's see. what. Let's throw this at the wall and see what sticks. Exactly. They were trying and they had nothing to lose. But that's where we got China Beach, Full House, Just the Ten of Us, 30-something, The Wonder Years, and Dolly's Variety Show. Oh, Jesus. I mean, mm-hmm. there it is. That variety shows were a big thing in the 70s. We can bring that back, right? I mean, if anyone could have done it, it was Dolly. And no. I'm sure it was fine. I don't really, I watched it and I don't remember any of it. So uh, anyway, premiering on CBS in 1987, 48 hours, Beauty and the Beast, Ooh. Linda Hamilton show. We've discussed, talk about a, what the fuck was that show? Uh, Frank's Place. I think that was the Judd Hirsch show after he did Taxi. Uh, the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. They tried to revive. I, th- I guess they thought, well, Dolly's doing a variety show. We can bring back Ooh. the Smothers Brothers which had previously run in 1965 to 1966 and briefly in 1975. So yeah, 1987, society is ripe for the return of the Smothers Brothers. Talk about having your pulse on the zeitgeist of American pop culture. Well, now that makes me want to look and see when Back to the Beach was released. Because uh, that makes me wonder if they were like, oh, look at the popularity of Annette and thing. And, oh, what else was popular in the 60s that people want to watch? I don't know. You know, Hmm. 
Maybe. And lastly, premiering on CBS, a show we've referenced many times, Jake and the Fat Man. Oh, my God. <laughs> William Conrad. That wonderful Dana Gould joke about his agent called him and said, they want you to read for a new show. It's called Jake and the Fat Man. And William Conrad said, oh, and which role will I be reading for? <laughs> um, now, Fox is only in its second year. So premiering now in 1987, Fox premiered America's Most Wanted. Ooh. There's a show that had a lot of traction and lasted a long time. Mm -hmm. And NBC, uh, only three notable shows that I found. I mean, there were more, but NBC was already riding high and had a good solid set of shows. It didn't have to replace as many. Uh, this is where it premiered A Different World, spinoff oh. from The Cosby Show. Sure. With the wonderful Jasmine Guy. Mm. My Two Dads. No, nothing oh. gay about that show. And in the heat of the night. Oh, right. The return of Carol O'Connor. Yep. The return. This time playing a racist Southern cop. I'm sure they cut the racism out since it was an ongoing thing. Didn't he so, win an Emmy for that? Because he's one of the people that's won an Emmy for comedy and drama. And drama. That's likely. I mean, I mean, it ran a long time. It was kind of, you know, the Matlock before its time. It was the the old people show seeing one of their own. William Cat was in that with them. In the in the heat of the night. Yeah. No, this is the this is based on the the Poitier movie where you had an old white racist Southern cop and a young black Northern cop working together. You know, you know, uh, narrowing the divide between races and generations. That sounds good. Yeah, I, I want to watch that. <laughs> no, it does. Carol O'Connor probably great in that. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I got lost in your description. That sounds wonderful. Well, we should find it and stream <laughs> it. And that's our next podcast, kids. Oh, David oh. and Matthew review in the heat of the night. Nine seasons of David's Carol O'Connor impression. You're welcome. <laughs> hey there, you African-American cop over there. I don't know. I got nothing. And that concludes David's TV deep dive for 1987, both past and future. And uh, what else do you have for us, Matthew? What's next on your list? Is it music? David, it's time for everybody's favorite. Music. Music. And <clears throat> whom are you going to sing? I think Judy Garland is just, it's always a slam dunk. You're going to sing the songs for me as, a, as Judy Garland or somebody else? Well, I'm going to give you... Oh, oh, I don't know how to do this because I, I, I know four of the top five. Okay. <laughs> Number five is one of my favorites to hear on the oldies stations. Oh, Jesus Christ. They're oldies. And so are we. It's such a recognizable song by the voice that sings that I will give you that one and then perform the other songs in that voice. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Number five, most popular song of 1987, David. Let them say we're crazy. I don't care about that. Put your hand in my hand, baby. Don't ever look back. Uh, 
Uh, and was that, was we that... can build this dream together, standing <laughs> strong forever. <laughs> Nothing's gonna stop us now. Uh, is that uh, Jefferson Starship or Starship? What are they credited as? Starship. Just Starship. I saw them, him, live at Bush Gardens just like right after we started getting vaccinated, like just when it was beginning to look like the pandemic was going to start easing up on us. And when he sang that song and said, oh, this is the first time I perform live in 14 months, I started crying. I cried during the Nothing's Gonna Stop Us song. Did they have a woman sing, let them say we're crazy. I believe they did. Oh, good. It was just one of his like people in his band because he it's weird because there's there was Jefferson Airplane, then Jefferson Starship and then just Starship. And I'm not sure what they did with Jefferson or where he went. Did did he move on up to the east side to a deluxe apartment in the sky? Maybe I think so. Number four, David. In the style of Starship. I want to dance with somebody. <laughs> I want to feel the heat with somebody. <laughs> Early Whitney Houston, man. This is the beginning of her ascension. Wow. Well, you will wonder why that song was only number four when we go through the last three. Okay. Because I love that. So I can, I, I, that's in my, my playlist when I'm on the elliptical at the gym. I fucking love, I want to dance with somebody. I think that song is just pure joy. That song plays on the loop at 5.15 when, we, when I do drag queen bingo, uh, when, when I'm waiting to go on. Yeah. I will get on the microphone from the dressing room and be like, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Whitney Houston is on the radio and this is required singing or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and the whole room will just start singing this song. It's such a great fucking song. It is awesomeness. I don't know. Number three, David, Shake You Down by Gregory Abbott. No fucking clue. <laughs> Me neither. Nope, no goddamn idea. I have no recollection of ever hearing that song in the last 35 years. Oh, I know I've heard it. Um, number two, David. Till now, I never got by on my own. <laughs> I never really cared until I met you. That is Heart, isn't it? Playing yes. in the song called Alone. Mm. And you have not lived till you've heard the Christian Chenoweth Matthew Morrison version that they sing on Glee. Oof. That sounds awful. Yeah. Want to hear it? No. <laughs> Number one, David. Number one song from 1987. Would you like to guess just randomly throw out a name? Because well, I mean, I can't imagine you will guess it. <laughs> 87. Jesus Christ. This is this is where I am lost. Movies. I, I have some I, I got some some tread on my tires when it comes to guessing movies. But when it comes to music, 87. 
Um, is it Michael Jackson? No. Is it is it a popular group or is it a one hit wonder? Uh, they were popular. Yes. I was mean... it Duran Duran? Nope. 87. Was it Phil Collins or no, Peter God, Gabriel no. or what what was there? What was the group there? The police. No. No. Girl group. I'll give you that. Girl group. Girl group. Okay. The Shirelles. The no. Shangri-Las. <laughs> the Shangri-La la 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 <laughs> um, Girl group. The Bangles? It was. You're getting warm. Yes, it was the Bangles, David. Fuck. I don't know any of this song. I, I, I mean, I know when I hear it, I'll know what it is, but I couldn't name a Bangles song. What is it? Walk like an Egyptian. Oh, my God. Walk like an Egyptian, David. That was the ve- that was the number one song. The number one. This list is a Billboard Hot 100 songs of 1987. Number one, Walk Like a Fucking Egyptian. Offensive. Jesus H. Christ. And the companion to Walk Like an Egyptian, I believe it was Squat Like a Mexican. Was that the other popular? I'm, no, I'm I'm pretty sure. Drink yeah. Like a Russian. Yeah. Might have been. <laughs> Shit Like a Frenchman. Yeah. Tiffany, Condescend Like a Frenchman. <laughs> some honorable mentions, David. La Bamba became popular again, thanks to the movie uh-huh. La Bamba. Um, Tiffany's, I think we're alone now. Um, Whitney Houston's didn't we almost have it all? George Michaels, I want your sex. Wow. Um, the Club Nouveau version of Lean on Me, David. Okay. Yeah. Played out there. Somewhere out there. <gasps> Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram from the oh. wonderful movie An American Tale. Hip. Hip to be square with the wonderful Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah. Um, just some really wonderful, terrible songs released. Sing one for me like Judy Garland, please. Um, let me find one. Um, oh, remember this one? Nothing's going to change my love for you. <laughs> remember that one, David, the wonderful. <laughs> Who originally uh-huh. sang that? Um, oh fuck, Glenn Medeiros. Um, but you may remember this one, David, the wonderful. Um, won't you take me chair? Funky town. Won't you take me to Funky Town? That was 87? Apparently, it's number 99 on the chart. <laughs> God, I feel like that was a like a 70s. Donna Summer Disc. I wonder if it was someone doing it a remake. It was probably like what's his pussy did putting on the Ritz, remember? In like oh. 1985 or whatever. It was probably one of those. Yeah, it had to be a remake. I mean, like, yeah. you know, 1977, Sean Cassidy had the do run run from the 60s. So this shit comes back around. Bruce Willis had number eight, number 89, a song called Respect Yourself. Oh, bless. Stay in your lane. Bruno. <laughs> Those are the music. That was the music. I hope you enjoyed this little skipping a dance down the soul train. Oh, row. And um, I love anytime you sing to me like Judy Garland. That always makes me <laughs> very happy. 
Well, well, Matthew, with that, we're going to move on to the final chapter of our pop culture deep dive, which is Broadway, Broadway, mm. how great you are. Mm. Mm. We're going to leave the farm with all its charm. To be a Broadway star. <laughs> So according to this wonderful website called broadwayworld.com, this has a list. And as I've said before, it's really fucked up because the quote unquote Broadway season is like the TV season. So I know some of these I talked about last year, but right now this list, and I've never been to this website before. This is the website that has the actual opening date. So these are shows that opened in the calendar year. 1987, not the the previous season or the next season. These are just calendar year 1987, okay? Uh, A Revival of All My Sons by Arthur Miller. Blythe Spirit, which is a revival of a Noel Coward show. Uh, Burn This, Lanford Wilson play, recently revived in 2019 with Adam Driver and Carrie Russell. A lot of gay stuff in it. It was off off Broadway in the 1960s. Who was in that Blythe Spirit? This had uh, Richard Chamberlain, Geraldine Page, uh, Blythe Danner, and Judith Ivey, among others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Angela Lansbury would go on to do it, but later, more recently. Uh, A a revival of Cabaret. With Joel Gray. With Joel Gray. Yeah, not to be confused. This version, this only ran for six months. Not to be confused with the one that was revived in 1998 and ran six years. Yeah, uh, I don't don't think anybody confused it with that one. Yeah, with Alan Cumming and Natasha Richardson. But uh, yeah, a little show called Anything Goes. Oh my God. Starring Patti LuPone. The wonderful Patti LuPone. Um, And if you do not follow, if you're a Broadway person and you don't follow Inappropriate Patti, on Instagram, you are God, missing brilliant. out. This guy is fucking hilarious. <clears throat> he is a Broadway cabaret singer, and he can sing just like Patti Lapone and genius, fucking genius. Um, Dream Girls. It's like, wait, wasn't Dream Girls uh, originally from 1981? Yeah, it did a little bit of a Hello Dolly, where it opened in '81. Closed in 83, toured 83 to 87, and then at the end of the tour, came back mm. to Broadway. So it technically was up for Best Revival. It might have might have even won. I don't know. Uh, Fences, the August mm. Wilson play, recently committed to film by the wonderful Denzel Washington and uh, winning the Academy Award for Viola Davis. Uh, Into the Woods. Little Stephen Sondheim musical that would go on to be a little bit popular. That opened November 5th of 87. Uh, Lay's Liaisons Dangerouses. (laughs) That's that's for the out-of-town tourists in New York City who might have stumbled into Les Liaisons Dangerouses, which is, of course, the Christopher Hampton adaptation of uh, Dangerous Liaisons the same film with Malkovich, Michelle Pfeiffer, Glenn Close the following year. Uh, Les Miserables opened in March of 87. 
a revival of Pygmalion opened in April with Peter O'Toole and Amanda Plummer. Betcha that was fucking amazing. Amanda Plummer, man. It's good. Uh, yep. The Nerd. That's an often revived and frequently done in community theaters play. The Nerd debuted in March of 87. And a little musical by a little composer, Andrew Lloyd Webber, called a Starlight Express. Oh, oof. <laughs> mm-hmm. You thought it was weird when cats came out to the audience and sat on your laps during a musical? <laughs> oh, but wait. <laughs> let's let's be what roller skating robot toys what, what the fuck is what is that i don't even it's know it's a train they're trains people playing trains yes <laughs> so yeah that's those are the notable shows that were on broadway in 87 and again i don't know if it was the 86 87 season or the 87 88 season who gives a shit it was the calendar year of 87 for fuck's sake and before we go matthew I can't wrap this up without obsessing about the ages. Oh, yes. Let's get it out of the way now. But the thing is, we don't need to be as obsessive about the ages. You notice I didn't talk as much about it in season eight because we weren't dealing with anybody in school. Everybody was out of school. So the year of school didn't come into play. And anyway, let's do this quickly. Lisa Welchel, this upcoming season, she is 24 years old, playing Blair Warner, who is 23. And she is now a first year law student. Nancy McKeon is 21 in real life, playing Joe, who is 23. And she is a college graduate now, finding her way in the world of employment and finding her career. Mindy Cohn is 21. Natalie is 20. She will be starting Langley as a college freshman, but we know she's starting two years late. And Kim Fields is 18. Finally, Kim Fields is of legal age. Now we can talk about her as though she's an adult and not be creepy when we mention how her figure looks or how busty this certain costume makes her look. And Anyway, and she's playing Tootie, who is 19, now a college sophomore. Beverly Ann is still of an indeterminate age, <laughs> though Cloris Leachman is 61. Mackenzie Aston is 14. I believe Andy is also supposed to be 14 though they did call him 13 in season seven. Uh, I, I think we're, we're going to stick with Mackenzie and Andy are the same age. They're both 14 until it is stated otherwise. And new cast member, Sherry Austin, otherwise known as Sherry Kren, playing Pippa. She is the person who fucks up everything, Matthew. She is the only lead cast member in nine seasons of the show who does not have an April or May birthday. Wow. Her birthday is August, August 28th. She was born uh, August 28th of 1970, meaning at the beginning part of the season, she's 17. In the later part of the season, she's 18. And I am fully prepared to hate on Pippa and constantly question, why is she there? What is her purpose? And where the fuck does she sleep? Well, those questions and more, David, will be answered in this season of The Facts of Life. Season nine, The Final Frontier. <laughs> where, where, where so few have gone before. My, my, my. Most I, people and I, jumped ship by now. 
I, I'm, it's true. And I admit, I watched this season for the first time. I had never laid eyes on any of these episodes until like maybe a, a year before I started the podcast. Maybe. So what, four years ago? That's it. Uh, like, <laughs> Have that's, you watched them since? No. Not, not the go-to DVD when you pull out? The, oh, no. Shame. I did watch the first time because we were wondering, I, I've, was it the bedroom where we were questioning when they added the, the inner bedroom for Tootie and Natalie? Like, did that, was that still there? Because I was like, didn't Natalie go into the bedroom with the four of them to tell Tootie about her losing her virginity? And turns out that's one of like the two times we see inside that room after after they took out loans <laughs> they took out personal loans oh so much to discuss in season nine david oh joe's career path joe's career arc i am dreading <laughs> dreading and let's not even get into paul provenza who good for him. He was the warm-up comic that ended up getting a role on the show. But if I recall, he starts out clearly being a potential love interest for Joe. Uh, I guess George was supposed to be that too. They kind of set that up for George Clooney and they didn't see that through. But I, I, I know that by the time someone's getting married, is it at Joe's wedding that Paul Provenza is Blair's date? Oh so yes. He's he's he starts dating Joe and ends up with Blair. And wacky, isn't it? And of course, get ready for David Spade and Richard Grieco in Big Apple Blues. Mm. One of the many hits of the season. Oh, so many. The hits just keep coming and won't fucking stop. But we will be back with some guests periodically throughout the season. We know that Ken Reed is fully committed to coming back for some of these. Thank God. And uh, we have some other maybe surprises up our sleeve. And I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do at the end of it all. Like what kind of a big motherfucking blowout of a rap party I can do. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. We have time. We have, we've got some time. So... All right, guys. I think that wraps up another show. Oof. Next week, going to be season nine, episode one, Down and Out in Malibu, part one. Because we need two episodes to contain the talent of Richard Mall. Insane. I, I've already watched this one. Wow. So, all right, then, guys. Well, that's how we're going to sign off. I think we've certainly done our homework and got you guys prepped and ret to go. So thank you for listening. We look forward to you tuning back in next week. And remember. The facts of life are all about you. <laughs> Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. 
This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.